goes on. That's a huge uh, sort of loss, if you like, of economic momentum and dynamism, isn't it? Right. And no one is saying there can't be new government outlook on technological, technological concerns, but it's the way they're rolled out. Now, keep in mind that so far this year, we've seen, I think, 36 Chinese companies list in the U.S., and they've raised about 13 billion USD. Well, in the second half of the year, we're going to see those numbers uh, react to this new effort, um, and we'll be able to quantify your concern fairly shortly, I think. Um, those numbers are certainly going downward. And what about for Hong Kong? This changes the whole regulatory landscape for Chinese tech firms. People are saying, oh, well, these companies just come to, to Hong Kong instead. But it doesn't seem to me to be just as simple as that. Surely the U.S. regulators aren't just going to allow these companies to leave the U.S. and then attract U.S. investors to Hong Kong instead. Yeah, look, they certainly won't. Um, but we have to distinguish between uh, between the existing listed companies and those and the new IPO pipeline. Mm. The new IPO pipeline, you can imagine, if you're a Chinese CEO trying to make that decision today, Hong Kong looks a lot more appealing vis-a-vis uh, -vis the U.S. than it might have looked two weeks ago. Brock, thanks very much for your thoughts on that. That's Brock Silvers, Chief Investment Officer at Kyan Capital. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Final look at Asian markets for this week. They are moving ahead. The ASX 200 in Australia is up about uh, 1%. Nikkei 225 in Japan is up almost 2%. Uh, looks like a positive start for the Hang Seng as well. Uh, looks like it's going to rise about one and a quarter percent at the open this morning. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil pretty flat, $75.58 a barrel. Uh, gold is also flat, $1,809 an ounce. That's it from me, but do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for Money Talk. Stay tuned for Back Chats with Hugh Chiverton and Mike Rouse after the news. The weather forecast for today, mainly fine apart from isolated showers. It's going to be very hot once again during the day, maximum temperature of around 34 degrees, and it's going to remain persistently very hot with sunny periods in the next couple of days. There is a, um, a very hot weather warning in force. It's 30 degrees right now, 80% relative humidity. 8.32, here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. A patient has died at Tunmun Hospital after being found with a pillow on her face and tissue in her mouth. The incident happened yesterday morning. Here's Robert Kemp. The 69-year-old woman was discovered as a staff member was checking on patients at about 1am. Hospital staff tried to revive her, but to no avail. The woman had previously been in a stable condition after being admitted last Wednesday following a fall. Two Moon Hospital has now called in the police. It said it was deeply saddened by the incident and that the woman's family had been informed. The death has also been reported to the hospital authority and to the coroner. The hospital says it will submit its own report in eight weeks. Three people have died in a fire at a subdivided flat in Taipo. One other person was injured. The blaze started on the sixth floor of a building on Hongsi Wu Street at about two o'clock this morning. Thirteen people were evacuated from the building. Of the four casualties, a woman and two young girls were unconscious when they were taken to hospital. Hundreds of people have joined protests against Cuba's communist government in Havana and several other cities. The opposition say the demonstrations are the biggest on the island in almost 30 years. They come as the country records a record number of COVID infections. Here's the BBC's Leonardo Rocha. Videos posted on social media show people marching peacefully, shouting anti-government chants. 
People called for freedom and democracy and demanded vaccines to tackle the coronavirus pandemic. Sporadic protests have been happening in Cuba for a while, but they're normally controlled quickly by the secret police. Bigger demonstrations like these are rare in the country. They come as Cuba reports a record number of COVID infections. The Cuban president, Miguel Diaz-Canel, has described the protests as provocation and has urged government supporters to confront them in the streets. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today. Mike Rouse. Mike, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Today we're talking about COVID-19 and especially vaccinations and also about construction defects. Health officials yesterday announced an order for everyone working at the airport to undergo a COVID test after a man came down with a mutant strain. The new local case is a 50-year-old worker whose preliminary positive test on Saturday led to an overnight lockdown uh, at his uh, block in Wong Tai Sin. And legislators on Friday urged the government to give up plans for a travel bubble with Singapore, given the Republic's strategy shift towards learning to live with COVID-19. On Wednesday, the Singaporean health minister stressed the lack of information available about the Sinovac vaccine and added uh, adding another layer of uncertainty to the long-awaited travel bubble between the two cities. Singaporeans choosing Sinovac already not counted towards the city's vaccination tally as it's never been approved by the local regulators there. Well, uh, what do you make of uh, developments? Are we right to trust Sinovac? Is it finally turn time to live with COVID? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk. Or you can call us, and our number is 233-88266, 233-88266, after 9.15. As I say, we're going to be talking about what happened with Pavilion Farm uh, in Taiwan. The construction there, part of it is going to have to be torn down and uh, rebuilt. Uh, what exactly happened? Once again, our email is backchat at rthk.hk. And our telephone number is 233-88266, 233-88266. Joining us on the line now, we have uh, Professor Dale Fisher, Senior Consultant of Infection diseases at the National University Hospital in Singapore, chair of the Global Outbreak Alert and Response Network at WHO. Dr. Siddharth Sridhar is a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Microbiology at the University of Hong Kong. And uh, Ivan Hung from the uh, Department of Medicine at uh, Hong Kong U will be joining us uh, also later in the programme after nine o'clock this morning. Uh, Professor Fisher, maybe if we could start with you. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, first of all, let's talk about, you know, sort of uh, how things stand at the moment in, in, in Singapore. What's the vaccination like, uh, rate like? Uh, and uh, is it, uh, you know, how fast is it moving? Well, we're pretty comfortable with, with the way things are, are progressing generally. We've had uh, our, our current numbers are 68% of people have had the first jab uh, and 40% are, are fully vaccinated. Um that's uh, 12, 12 and above uh, is our is our our, our target. Um, we've had a little bit of disappointment with the over seventy age group. That's they were the first that were allowed to have it, but they're still only sitting just above seventy percent. They they plateaued off um, a, a month or two ago. So that that's a group that obviously really benefits from the vaccine and and the ones we really want to to try and work harder with. Uh, Professor Fisher, good morning. That's something, we're seeing the same experience here in Hong Kong. 
uh, the older people sort of seem to be more reluctant. Whereas in the UK, it was the other way around, wasn't it? They were told to stay home uh, until they got vaccinated and they were given priority. Uh, well, they're, they're given priority here as well. And in fact, yeah. uh, Singapore, once that uh, level plateaued off, they were actually allowed to wander into clinics without even having an appointment to try and make it as easy as possible for them. We've got uh, community groups that can, can identify less mobile elderly and, and therefore we can get a mobile vaccination team to them. So uh, yeah. we're, we're trying to get those numbers up. So they're, they're particularly vulnerable but particularly reluctant. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how reluctant they are or, or how much is apathy or how much is, um, I, I guess, just a, a feeling that uh, I'm old and whatever will happen will happen. So so I think there's uh, we need to better understand the, the attitude, but I, I, I'm not fully convinced that they're full of anti-vaxxers. I think it's more just... Uh, they're not getting around to it. Right. So there have been a couple of uh, specific uh, you know, developments which uh, concern us uh, h- here in Hong Kong. One is the attitude towards the uh, Sinovac uh, vaccine. Um, as I said in the introduction, uh, p- people taking the uh, that vaccination are, are don't count towards the the, the tally uh, because it hasn't been approved by by local uh, regulators. Uh, and also, there's been express you know concern I think expressed by officials last week uh, about uh, its efficacy against the new variants in in particular, and pointing to a lack of information on that. Um, so, I mean, does Sinovac sort of effectively not count uh, in Singapore? Well, not yet. It's certainly being monitored. Uh, A figure produced uh, last Wednesday showed that there were 17,000 people in this category. So it's it's a significant number, but but not a huge number. Um, So no, they're not being added to the tally because it's not an authorised vaccine yet, but it's still being tracked. And and if and when that day comes that it is authorised, then then they will be added in. But as you rightfully point out, there's just some efficacy questions that haven't satisfied the Singapore regulators yet. Uh, and, and, of course, we're hearing stories from Indonesia and Thailand of, of people that are, have been vaccinated with Sinovac. They're actually having poor outcomes. So, so there are still some question marks on it. But, uh, yeah, and at this stage, they're just, uh, they're just being counted in a different way. So your, your figures of 68 for single uh, shot and 40 fully vaccinated. Those numbers uh, exclude the Sinovac. Correct. And they're roughly double the Hong Kong numbers. Um, I think ours are about 34 and 23, but ours include the Sinovac. So actually we're quite a long way behind Singapore. Uh, If you count it that way, yeah. Well, I'm thinking of all the talk of a bubble... Um, it seems to me that one of the th- aspects of the bubble is that if people are moving f- fairly freely, that's the idea, in the two directions, it must be on the basis of equality of vaccine recognition. So that if, if, one, if one end of the, of the pipe is saying it must be something other than Sinovac, then we should be, it, it should be Pfizer or Moderna or whatever that both governments accept. And, and 
what I understand for getting into China is that they don't acknowledge many of the other vaccines either. So, so, so this is all, uh, all all a little bit murky yet, and, and doesn't right. get get resolved, as you say. Well, they think the mainland is about to recognise uh, Pfizer because a mainland company is its authorised distributor for Greater China. That's Fosun, and I think uh, we heard that they bought a hundred million doses. Uh, for for the for the mainland, so it's, it would seem to be only a matter of time before Pfizer, the BioNTech, gets recognised. Mm. Do, yeah, I think all this. Uh, well, I think all this will resolve with time. It's just uh, it's it, not surprisingly, it's a little bit uh, uh, a little bit uh, sort of not not exactly dovetailed yet, but but it, it will. Dr. Sridhar, good morning to you, and thank you for very much for joining us once again. What do you make of that that difference in approach to uh, Sinovac between Singapore uh, and Hong Kong? It's, it's uh, quite different. Uh, who's right? Yeah, well, um, I would say these these decisions are not set in stone, and uh, things can change. But uh, let's look at the data on Sinovac that we have on hand at the moment. I think on the same day that Singapore... Um, the, the news broke from Singapore. We had a, a paper coming out in, uh, in the New England Journal of Medicine on uh, Sinovac's performance in Chile, in South America. And this is a real-world uh, so-called effectiveness study. And they found that it's about 60, 60 to 65% effective against uh, preventing symptomatic COVID-19. So it's all classes of COVID-19 that produce symptoms. And its performance against severe disease, um, say for preventing ICU admissions or, uh, or or mortality, for example, is generally about 85%, no matter whether it's the elderly or, um, or younger age group. So the protection seems to extend across. And this was done in Chile at a time when they had the gamma variant. So it was something that was marked as a variant of concern with the capacity of evading the vaccine-induced immunity, so it, 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 it did what a vaccine does, right? It, it is probably, it is definitely not as effective as BioNTech in terms of preventing symptomatic COVID-19, but in terms of severe COVID-19, it is uh, more than decent. You're talking about, you know, 85 to 90% uh, effectiveness for that category. The big question here is how does it perform against Delta? That's, you know, overwhelming uh, very many parts of the world, including some and uh, I, I think countries like Indonesia will be in a, in a position to answer that question very soon because of their current outbreak. So with that uncertainty about Delta, Singapore, given their much, much lower numbers of people who have received Sinovac, have the luxury of saying, let's wait and see what happens with this category. So at least that's how I see it. Uh, so which is why in their, perhaps in their modeling scenarios of what would happen in Singapore, So we know 
remove every sign of Biontech, but there is uncertainty about coronavirus. Hong Kong doesn't have the luxury to discount coronavirus because uh, I, I think about 40% of people who have got the vaccine in Hong Kong have received uh, corona, have received Sinovac. So, yeah, for all intents and purposes, it is a vaccine. <laughs> so it does something, it simulates your immune system and it protects you against uh, forms of uh, COVID-19 that matter. What remains to be seen is its effectiveness against Delta. If you ask me to predict its effectiveness against symptomatic Delta infection, it's going to be lower. But I'd be extremely surprised if it is completely unprotective against severe Delta infection. So I would expect some degree of protection to remain. So uh, time will tell. We, we don't have the data yet, so it's uh, uh, and, and I'm sure it's not a matter of who's wrong and who's right. It's just. Uh, Also last week, you know, we had uh, the extension of the social distancing measures uh, for uh, another two weeks. And a lot of people were saying, well, look, we've we've had zero untraceable cases for, uh, what was it, 30 days or, or something, uh, an extended period. Haven't we earned the right to, to uh, loosen up a little bit now uh, and, uh, you know, even approach the idea of, what they're doing in other places, uh, which is uh, pretty much uh, abandoning uh, the uh, uh, social distancing measures once the vaccination level reaches a certain point. Um, You know, do you think we could be a little bit more generous in allowing people out and so on? Yeah, we we could be a little more generous than we are at the moment. I do believe that, but not too much. Uh, Unfortunately, again, it's it's a matter of luxury. We don't have the luxury to have that flexibility in decision-making that uh, the UK has shown or Singapore is showing now. Um, In the UK, you know, I mean, there's a lot of uh, clamor about the July 19th opening, but uh, supporters claim that basically the link between, you know, COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations have been broken by vaccination, um, whereas the people against that say they're not quite, since only half the population has actually been vaccinated with two doses, uh, and um, time will tell which, which side is right there. But in Hong Kong, no way. I mean, our vaccination figures are way too low to allow us uh, too much flexibility. But could it be a little bit more, um, you know, free than it is now? Yeah, probably, since they've done a good job at keeping cases low. But, you know, as the airport worker case shows, it just takes one case for right. things to go back. So what I'll say is this. You can't relax now. I think that's acceptable <laughs> given the low number of cases, but you can expect that to go back to square one it comes, fairly soon. It comes back, doesn't it, to this vaccination rate. Why, why do you think our numbers are so low and what can we do to improve them? Um, great question. I mean, we've been breaking our heads on this uh, for a long time. For a lot of the time, it comes down to mistrust, uh, mistrust of government initiatives, mistrust of vaccine um, uh, side effects, or uh, you know how, exactly how good they are. So that there is a lot of uh, mistrust about the vaccines circulating in Hong Kong, partly because of the fact that uh, BioNTech in particular is uh, relatively new technology. But uh, I will say this on an optimistic note, it's a matter of time. Yeah, we got off to a slow start and a slow middle, but uh, we're going to get there in the end. And uh, we have to constantly message, not just the government, but also, you know, people in the know, academics, medics in general, have to keep uh, messaging about the benefits of the vaccine. And uh, eventually, we should get there, yeah.
When I was looking at the numbers, for example, for Saturday, um, I, I, I think the numbers for yesterday have just come in on my mobile phone, but the ones for Saturday, 40,700 got the second jab, but only 23,300 got the first jab. That, w that would show the take-up rate is actually declining. You're right, yeah. I, I mean, one of the things that might have to happen is, you know, for there to be a fifth wave, so people actually see cases in Hong Kong once again, and, you know, they, they, they get to fear. It, it is sad that it has to come to that, but unfortunately, you know, it's, uh, it, 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 that might be the push, because countries with high vaccination rates, uh, uh, if you have the UK right. or Israel, that has a massive community of risk, so many deaths. Perhaps everyone knows of somebody who's had severe COVID-19, and uh, there, there is no greater motivator for vaccination than that. So you're lucky, Tom, and, uh, you know, offers of apartments and gold can really take you so far. Listen, you mentioned the case at the airport, and I... I heard what Dr. Chuang was saying about the case at the airport and the justification for ordering everyone to have a test. Does the government have the power to order everyone to be vaccinated? Um, I actually don't know the legality of that on the government, but uh, at least I'm speaking from a medical professional point of view, so I would want to avoid that because it's, it's doesn't exactly um, tie in with medical ethics where, you know, there's a principle of autonomy and people should uh, be able to make their decisions. We might believe that there is a right decision and we believe very strongly that vaccination is a right decision, but uh, we would hope that we can get them there by convincing them rather than coercing them. But, uh, you know, I strongly believe that in some high-risk areas, like the airport, you really should vaccinate uh, and make sure your staff are vaccinated as soon as possible. Okay. <laughs> Professor Fisher, Professor Fisher. So, what about this idea of living with uh, COVID? Um, you know, we sort of read about Singapore being on the verge of, uh, of you know, moving in that direction. Uh, I guess, uh, and that's something that's happened, say, in the UK, uh, is they've decided to kind of um, just kind of live with it, uh, uh, um, given the you know the high uptake for for vaccinations. How does the, how do things stand in Singapore? Are they going to um, open the borders and just kind of uh, live with it, or or what? Uh, discussing a transition now and and you touched on it earlier in in the discussion about whether you can be be kinder in terms of the restrictions uh, I think it's good to look at this in terms of uh, four defenses if you like there's the, the there's two Singapore wants to ramp up uh, which is obviously vaccine uh, and the second one being those public health interventions so just make sure your contact tracing is is functioning maximally and your quarantining and your testing all this is going well so then we can wind back the other two which which bring about that social and economic pain and that's the the border restrictions and the social restrictions which which limit gatherings and 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 dining in and bars and whatever so so of the four things, where the transition will involve ramping up to, and and bringing back to. So and and it's all about the pain. It's yeah, sure you could have social restrictions and keep the borders closed and and keep your cases right down, but it's that's not without 
without an impact on people. So that's what the transition will be uh, if we can get those down. And then the next step will be, okay, now that we're so well vaccinated, let's rely completely on vaccination and stop the contact tracing, uh, not make people quarantine anymore. And these are the sort of uh, uh, transition that we're looking at over the next six months so that into next year, uh, life is, is pretty much back to normal. Wow, that sounds like a, a long time frame. Um, uh, d- could we be headed towards the era of vaccine passports? Um, you know, I, I think that'll be a component of it for a little while. Uh, I'm not sure uh, how long it'll last and, uh, and things like that, but, but I think it'll be there for a while, certainly while we're trying to encourage people to to get vaccinated and also while we're trying to keep a lid on it because even Singapore, you say it's twice as much as Hong Kong, but it's still not enough. So so we still aren't ready to let it run uh, run free as in as UK is talking about. So so I think, yeah, there, there will still be limitations like this, but, but it's because we're doing it in steps. We're not just going to open everything and say it's over. We're, right. We'll be three or four steps along the way to opening the borders. In that that end scenario, would there still be... I mean, would people get COVID, but they wouldn't go to hospital, so it would be, you know, comparable to flu or something like that? It would be endemic, uh, but it would just not be such a big deal. That's the model, and and we're not even talking about counting those cases anymore. Mm. Eventually, it'll be like trying to count cases of common cold in the community, which we don't do. We, we come out. We count severe cases in hospital because that's got an impact on, on, on the on the health capacities. But uh, eventually, I'm not saying now. It, it's all in the timing. But eventually, we won't be counting every case. Right, because both Singapore and Hong Kong are very internationally minded cities and and depend on international trade and people movement, uh, international movement. Uh, we we're both in the same spot aren't we, from that point of view? And this is the social and economic pain I'm, I'm talking about. So many families haven't been able to connect with loved ones and and, and unable to go to weddings or funerals or, or even just see each other. And and economically, obviously, business travel is, has been slashed. So, so yeah, I, I think Hong Kong would be just as keen in, in Singapore, as uh, Singapore in following this strategy of, ramping up the public health side, ramping up the vaccines and removing those those painful interventions. What's the what's the quarantine time now in Singapore? It hasn't changed yet. Uh, we went to three weeks for a while from, from the very high-risk countries, but uh, that's now back to two. And, um, uh, but, but as I said, so for all the talk about Singapore's transition, it hasn't really started yet, but it's more of a conversation. But I, I thoroughly expect it to, to evolve over even the next month. Um, and, and some of these restrictions, maybe home quarantine will be on the list rather than strictly hotel quarantine for people re-entering, things like this. And is there much appetite for that? Do you think people want to move in that direction? Because I don't think in Hong Kong there is. It's not very widely discussed, really. It's still a, a sort of zero COVID mentality, I would say. Well, Singaporeans are desperate for a, for a holiday or a business trip. Or yeah, yeah. <laughs> Me <Yeah>. too. <laughs> so, so there'd be a big appetite for anything that makes it easier to travel. 
Dr. Srida, do you, do you agree? It's not something that's very much discussed in Hong Kong. In fact, you know, we had legislators last week saying, oh, we can't have the travel bubble because Singapore are going to be much more liberal than we are. If we were both at 80% with similar uh, treatment of the vaccines and we could maybe have no quarantine at either end. But we're so far away from that, it's hardly worth discussing. Okay, a couple of comments. Uh, Jim says, uh, with the subject line, SAR insensitive, the SAR government seems to focus on the stick and not the carrot as vaccination insensitive. I don't hear much about reasonable carrot offers. That's uh, from uh, Jim H. There are all the the uh, draws and so on. but um... that's, that's, Yeah, well, how about a special bracelet and you don't have to wear a mask? Something like that. Yeah. Or, you're, you don't have to go into quarantine when you come back mm. if, you've, you know, if you've got the certificate. That would be an incentive. OK, and a comment from Mike, uh, who says, research results with respect to Sinovac in the US, it is not effective. If you have the Sinovac in the States, you are not considered vaccinated. So same in Singapore. I'm just the messenger, says Mike. Uh, one of your speakers cites effectiveness is that absolute risk reduction or relative risk reduction. Please specify. Remember the difference? Question mark. That comes uh, from Mike. Um, let's uh, uh, say goodbye for the moment to Professor Dale Fisher. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Senior Consultant on Infectious Disease at the National University Hospital uh, in Singapore. Uh, we're going to stick with the topic and also going to be talking about uh, those problems with concrete after 9.15. The weather, many fine apart from some isolated showers. There's a very hot weather warning, 30 Celsius now. Relative humidity is at 78%. Into a reality for my grandchildren who, who are here, for your grandchildren and for many people who are alive today, for everybody. And having flown to space, I can see even more clearly how Virgin Galactic is the space line for Earth. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. Back chat this Monday morning, first one of the week. And, of course, we're talking about uh, COVID. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> Mike Rouse, uh, your co-host. Uh, my name is uh, Hugh Chiverton. Uh, we, later we're going to be talking about the uh, the problems with uh, the uh, Pavilion Farm, the, the uh, concrete there, the construction uh, defects uh, with uh, Albert Lyme. We want to hear from you. Backchat at rthk.hk uh, is our email address. We're joined uh, by Dr. Siddharth Sridhar. Uh, he's still with us, a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Microbiology at the University of Hong Kong. And from the Li Ka-Shing uh, Faculty of Medicine, uh, we're also joined now by Professor Ivan Hung from the Department of Medicine. Once again, our email address is backchat at rthk.hk. Our telephone number is 233-88266. We've got a line open. Uh, or you can go to our Facebook page. That's Backchat on RTHK Radio 3 and write, write what you want there. Just before we get back into the uh, COVID topic, here's a couple of uh, emails uh, that are not directly related. 
Jim H says, uh, who I am. Uh, by God's grace, I am an American. Uh, God bless America because our colours don't run. By God's wisdom, I am Houstonian. Don't truck with Texas. By choice, I am retired after twenty after service of 22 years, 9 months, 6 days, 15 minutes in the US Navy. Go fast, Navy. By pure luck, I am Hong Konger. I have the honor, privilege and honour to have lived and worked 45 years in Hong Kong. Love it or leave it. Unhappy here? Try Canada. I hear it's nice there this time of year. Too cold there? Go down under, but just go. <laughs> and Mary says, Dear Backchat, as more details have been revealed about the hot pot dinner incident, community focus is no longer on the flaunting of COVID regulations, but on the fact that not one but three high-ranking security officials were hobnobbing with senior mainland officials and a representative of a mainland conglomerate that is at the risk of an imminent liquidity crisis a gathering that included a guest, a guest who was subsequently charged with rape. But instead of being suspended from their posts during the investigation, the incident is being brushed under the carpet with statements like they have learned a lesson. Our CE said, quote, the public should view the dinner gathering in a more humanised way. Uh, unquote. Like the humanised way the removal of our district councillors has been carried out. Instead of announcing what they're to be charged with and what punishment is to be exacted, the administration has been drip-feeding details to the media. The intention is clearly to have the DCs fall on their own swords, damned if they do and damned if they don't. These are our legitimately elected representatives, many of whom have been doing a fine job, to infer that they will be compelled to repay their salaries they legitimately earned or made bankrupt is nothing short of shocking. And will the case of the Hong Kong Youth Student Union be handled in a humanised way. These young people issued a rash and inappropriate statement. It was quickly withdrawn. In other words, they have learned a lesson. Will they, their case be handled with the same degree of magnanimity as that displayed towards the errant officials? That comes from Mary. Once again, our email, bankchatter.thk.hk. OK, uh, back to COVID. Uh, Professor Hong, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. Um... We were looking at a number of things before the news. I, maybe you didn't hear them. But in broad terms, Singapore's vaccination rate seems to be roughly twice the Hong Kong vaccination rate. Why do you think that's so low here? And what can we do to boost it? Well, I think overall, I think uh, Singapore, uh, they have been overall, I think, they, they just, I think the citizens overall have been uh, taking up the vaccine um, relatively quickly compared to Hong Kong, uh, especially when they kick off the program, they were not kicking off or starting with the elderly population as such. So uh, in Hong Kong, uh, unfortunately, we actually kicked off by with the elderly population first, which is quite sensible. But unfortunately, of course, we have more patient, uh, more elderly who have had. Uh, so-called um, uh, previous quite critical uh, chronic illness and hence there are some uh, major side effects or, or so-called side effects thought to be associated with the vaccine which of course subsequently proven not to be associated with the vaccine uh, and that could have uh, affected the, um, the uptake rate as such. However, if you look at the re more recent vaccination rate uh, in Hong Kong we're seeing an increase, up, a much more increasing uptick in Hong Kong, and we probably will be able to catch up with that of Singapore uh, later on. Well, they're at 68 
a percent for one shot at the moment and 40% fully vaccinated. We're about 34% for one shot and 23, I think it is, uh, as of yesterday, for fully vaccinated. We've, we've got a lot of making up to do, haven't we? Indeed, yes, I agree with that. Uh, but I think with the recent number of like 60,000 uh, vaccinations per day, uh, we will be able to, to catch up with that. Uh, and also, of course, Singapore has uh, already uh, so-called uh, thinking of abandoning uh, the, 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 the quarantine, so-called quarantine policy. And with that in hand, of course, the, the, uh, the, the citizen will have to uh, uh, vaccinate uh, right. quickly because uh, of, of course, the, the, the risk of opening up uh, and not so-called like, you know, uh, abandoning the quarantine policy. Right. Well, I, I've been looking at the last two days of, of statistics now from the Department of Health here. And in, for both of the days, we had more people getting their second shot, um, which is good, obviously a good thing, because they're fully vaccinated, but smaller numbers getting their first shot. And, of course, they'll be the people who become fully vaccinated in, in three weeks' time. So it actually seems the pipeline is, is slowing down, unfortunately. Well, I think overall, it, I mean, regardless whether they're getting the second shot or whether they're getting the first shot, uh, the number has been increasing overall. So uh, I, I would not actually just look at by just like two days uh, numbers. Right. I'll be actually looking at over like a period of like one to two weeks. Uh, and of course, with the, uh, the number of, uh, you know, uh, extending to the young age group and also that uh, you know, with the summer holiday coming, I, I, I really hope that the number will go up uh, even for the old overall rate will go up. And if we are able to keep up with that same rate, we will be able to, uh, to catch up and hopefully reach the so-called herd immunity, uh, you know, 70% by the end of September. Uh, well, I hope so very much because we're talking of, of that 70 plus percent in order to ease... Uh, the social rules within Hong Kong, but also so that we can start to look up freeing up travel. Yes, uh, I think free travel will be the uh, the out, one of the ultimate goal. Uh, and if you look at what uh, Europe and uh, US are doing right now, they will be opening up very soon. In fact, for Europe, they don't even need the so-called uh, vaccine. Uh, for, to open up. But unfortunately, of course, they are facing the dynamic that they have a major outbreak of Delta variants right now. Uh, and that, of course, may uh, affect the, uh, you know, the, the quarantine and also the travel rules. What do you make of what's happening, say, uh, in the UK, where it seems they're going all out for uh, uh, you know, uh, living with, uh, with the virus, if you watch the football? Uh, this morning, there were tens of thousands of people in the stadium, none of whom were wearing a mask, none of whom were practicing any sort of social distancing and so on. They're kind of moving back to, to, to uh, normal life or pre, pre-COVID life. Um, what, what do you think of that? Is that a disaster waiting to happen, or do you think that they're on the right track? What do you think? Uh, first yes, all, I think they are. They're actually having a major risk uh, of having a, a rebound uh, as such, because uh, I think in UK they were actually doing quite well until they have a major outbreak of Delta variants. And 
of course that we are looking at people who have yet to receive the second shot and also that there are many young people who have not been vaccinated. Uh, and if you open up too quickly, uh, there will be a major rebound, uh, being that you have yet to reach the so-called 70% herd immunity. Right. Uh, and I'm afraid that will be the case uh, we are looking at in UK and, uh, and many parts of the world, which uh, open, basically open too, up, too quickly, and then they will they will suffer from the rebound. One, uh, of the arguments, one of the arguments they were making for setting this deadline date, uh, J- July 21st or something, isn't it? Something like that, was that uh, although they expect numbers to go up, they don't expect deaths to go up or serious hospitalisation to go up very much, if at all, because so many people have been vaccinated. Uh, I'm afraid that will not be the case. Uh, the reason for that is because even though the uh, the people have been vaccinated or with a one with one dose of vaccination, uh, the Delta variant is very contagious. So what happens is that you will have perhaps compared to the previous waves, you have fewer people who have been hospitalized. But unfortunately, because of the number of new cases diagnosed, if you have just a small fraction of those people developing pneumonia or complications, then it will still be a very, very uh, you know, big pressure on the health facilities uh, and also on the healthcare system. So you will still have people, despite a so-called relatively smaller fraction, you still have people who develop complications so, and even death. So this is, this is not a gamble you would have taken? Definitely not. Do, no. do, so uh, mm. the reason, I think the most important thing is to, um, you know, uh, is, is to patrol the border very closely, monitor the, uh, the situation very closely, uh, and hopefully we will be able to, you know, increase the vaccination rate uh, as you know, as quickly as possible. And reaching by reaching the benchmark uh, of 70%, we will be able to gradually release. But if you, even if you look at the rebound, uh, the, the um, social economical recovery uh, rate, Hong Kong is, is ranked as the best, even better than, uh, than New Zealand. We have a recovery of more than 90% of our economical social economical activities compared to New Zealand, who is 83 or 84%. So uh, even with this so-called very tight so-called infection control measures imposed, we are still uh, ranked first uh, in in terms of socioeconomical recovery. Nevertheless, despite, you know, ranked first, we could not live forever like this. So that's why we need to get the vaccination rate uh, as quickly as possible. Dr. Sridhar, what do you think about what the UK is doing? Do you think it's moving... Too fast or about right? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, they're definitely headed for uh, a great big experiment, a social experiment. Um, the number of cases is going to shoot up, no doubt about it. Number of deaths, number of hospitalizations is a very interesting question, and it'll be looked at very closely. Because as I said earlier in the program, proponents feel that half of the population receiving two doses should be enough to significantly blunt the number of uh, or hospitalizations or people requiring ICU admission, etc. Whereas other people say you're talking about Delta, so the herd immunity threshold figures of uh, 70% or whatever that we had previously actually goes up because the R number of the virus is higher. So theoretically, the herd immunity threshold is also um, higher. 
people tell, I'm sure there's going to be a, a, a surge in deaths and hospitalizations, but it's a size that matters. Would I have taken the same decision? Probably not. I mean, if you have a vaccination campaign that's well underway, then perhaps delay the opening to August or September is uh, might have been more sensible. But uh, that's why politicians take these decisions and not... Uh, but to be, to be clear, Delta spreads very, very easily compared to the other uh, variants. But is it any more deadly? Yeah, we, we don't know about whether it is more lethal compared to um, the pre-existing variants yet. So we're still waiting on the uh, for, for data on that. But it's more transmissible, which in itself is... Uh, uh, which, which means that it puts more people at risk of uh, having nasty complications. So I would say that uh, there is probably going to be a small effect on lethality, uh, which uh, we would still need to confirm. All right, uh, an email from uh, Bowen, uh, who says, well, one not unimportant reason why vaccination rates are still low may be that people speaking in public, including but not limited to radio hosts in the Cantonese media, are either holding back in telling the whole truth vigorously or too mindful of being politically correct by the government standards. Just last week I heard a medically qualified radio host saying on air that people had to choose between a vaccine with a high efficacy but with high risks, i.e. Biontech, versus one with low risks and relatively low efficacy. But how high are the risks of taking Biontech really? Sending out mixed signals at a critical time like this is pretty absurd from my point of view. That kind of message was meant at the start of the vaccine to prevent people from all choosing Biontech with a loss of face for Sinovac. I've heard that Singapore is now not even accepting Sinovac-vaccinated Hong Kongers. On the ground, it's not effective against a new variant. So maybe we should start stop uh, st uh, uh, sending out such dilly-dallying, ambiguous messages to our citizens. As various expert hosts on Backchat have pointed out, that if more people go for Sinovac, 70% of vaccination rate may not even be enough to achieve herd immunity. That's even more reason we should be less ambiguous about Biontech being the preferred and more effective choice at this point in time, provided people consult their doctors about their blood pressure, etc., as they should always do. The experts should all tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That comes uh, from Bowen. Uh, Ivan Hung, should the, should the uh, medical profession basically be saying uh, Biontech is better than Sinovac? Uh, yes, I think if you look at the uh, the efficacy and anybody level, the um, the Biontech is currently probably one of the best vaccine available, even compared to other platforms like AstraZeneca, or even compared to you know the inactivated uh, vaccine platform like Sinovac or Sinopharm, or um, if you compare to uh, you know uh, the uh, even to the recombinant protein uh, platform like Novavax. Uh, so overall, I think BioNTech also has a, a very good safety profile. Uh, the only uh, differences are those who are really infrequently uh, associated with the uh, uh, subjects who have previous history of uh, severe anaphylaxis, uh, severe allergic response, or they have two uh, medicines or about uh, kind of allergy, or they have uh, very uncontrolled uh, chronic illnesses, uh, then they will uh, uh, suggest it to uh, receive some kind of medical advices or uh, some uh, advice from their general practitioners uh, before getting the vaccine. Otherwise, the, uh, the vaccine is very safe and there's no uh, contraindication as such.
Okay. Uh, just to finish off, uh, Jim H says, Mike, another mobile app to wear is not an incentive. How about one week mandatory quarantine together with one week home monitor for inbound permanent residents? Masks must be continued. Posted rules for social distancing can be removed. Uh, Mike says, on forced vaccinations, 1947 Nuremberg rules. Mr. Rouse needs to refresh his memory as to emergency use, experimental injections. He will get his answer. And uh, Mike also uh, sends some of the Nuremberg Code's ethical guidelines for research, uh, including voluntary consent is essential. The results of any experiment must be for the greater good of society. Human experiments should be based on previous animal experimentation. Experiments should be conducted by avoiding physical stroke, mental suffering and injury. That is uh, from uh, Mike. And Paul in Taipo says, Back chat, watching this C-19 farce over the past year has been akin to watching a very slow car crash that's headed towards compulsory vaccination right from the beginning. Here you are talking about it now and have even admitted that the end result will be like flu. I don't believe you can blame anyone for being suspicious about all of this, can you? Says uh, Paul in Taipo. Well, thank you very much indeed to our guests this morning, to Dr. Siddhar Sridhar, who's a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Microbiology at the University of Hong Kong, and uh, Ivan Hung, a clinical professor in the Department of Medicine at the Lee Ka-shing uh, Faculty of Medicine at the University of Hong Kong. Two, thank you all uh, very much indeed, and uh, to all the uh, emails and comments as well. 22 minutes past nine, uh, finally today, to uh, Pavilia Farm. Uh, it was uh, on July the 3rd that uh, the uh, New World contractor reported that uh, the concrete strength in sections of the wall base in two of the seven tower blocks of Pavilia Farm uh, failed uh, uh, design uh, standards and uh, would have to be torn down and uh, rebuilt with uh, compensation for customers delaying the delivery by uh, nine months. Uh, for comment, uh, we're joined now by Albert Lai. He's a fellow of the Institution of Civic uh, Engineers, uh, policy convener of Professional Commons. Uh, Albert, uh, good morning to you. Many thanks for, for, for joining us once again. Um, how, how did this happen? This is very rare, of course, in, in Hong Kong. Not unheard of, but, but pretty rare. Do we have any idea what went wrong? Well, I think the, um, well, we have only to rely on the information disclosed by the developer and also the, uh, uh, the building's department. Now, this type of incidents actually do happen, uh, but mostly not on this scale, um, because, you know, from time to time you may have mistakes made on site. Now, but, uh, you know, to have uh, an incident of this scale that uh, requires demolition of two half-built uh, buildings, I mean, that's where. Um, I think the big question here is that uh, uh, whether this is a one-off human error or a more systemic problem uh, with the uh, contractor, um, because the um, um, apparently uh, you know this has nothing to do with the design because uh, the design standards are okay. It's really a question of. Uh, of the contractor using substandard concrete, you know, concrete that is of an inferior grade. Now, why would this happen? Uh, that's uh, quite intriguing because, uh, you know, there would be different levels of safeguard. I mean, for instance, the, the, the contractor has to order concrete from a, a supplier, uh, and the supplier would check his order, and then it would deliver on site. And again, you have site engineers to check the concrete, 
uh, and apparently none of these procedures have prevented the problem from happening. And eventually, um, they have to wait until uh, 28 days you know, because, uh, you know, in every batch of concrete uh, uh, form, you have a, a sample and the sample will be sent to a, te- a lab for testing and 20, after 28 days, I mean, the result come up, came out. And, and then so after the, it, apparently that is when they discover the problem, and and that's why uh, after all this period of uh, of waiting for the lab and also checking, you know, quite a few stories have been built on top of the uh, foundation. Yes, that, uh, well, good morning, Albert. That was going to be my question for you, because mistakes do happen on site uh, where people are human, but they're normally discovered quite quickly, and then you rip out the bit that was done wrongly, uh, and you do it again. But uh, this was a very long time, wasn't it? Because so much now, had been built um, on top. Well, what happens now, in terms of the procedures, um, once you pour, you know, one round of concrete, you know, you take the sample, and then the lab will take, well, they do the seven-day test, and they also do 28-day test. Right. Now, uh, legally, the buildings department only accepted twenty-eight day test because this, after all, the concrete sets, you know, and the strength is, is confirmed. Now, so if they are to uh, to wait until the twenty-eight day test to come out, uh, and then they find there's a problem, and then they further investigate, you know, that can they t- take them probably a few weeks. You know, this is what uh, the, the kind of time scale we uh, we are talking about here, um, and. Uh, I, I think what's more intriguing is that it doesn't happen in only one place. It happens with two buildings now, uh, all, right. all the foundations related to, to two buildings. So, so, uh, so it doesn't seem to be a one-off human error. There seems to be a more systematic problem there. Right, because if they place the right order and uh, someone checks on arrival of those lorries that they've got the right quality of cement... That's true. That's true. So there, there must have been, you know, a few places of uh, of lessers, uh now, um, and that uh, certainly is worth investigation. Now, at the moment, the buildings department said that they would start some investigation. I hope that you know there will be a follow-up investigation and so and also report. Uh, not just on these two buildings, but also they have other towers on the same, in the same complex, in the same right. development. You know, certainly, I, well, I'm sure the resident or the hotel, the future residents will be very much concerned about uh, the quality of all the concrete in all the towers. And this is, uh, 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 so, so the developers, uh, now, I, I suppose, um, as at this point, you know, the, the, the developer has acted responsibly in releasing the details and, you know, announcing competition and schemes and so on. But I think what they need to do more is, is to have more transparencies about the reasons behind. Right. Because given, the, given the fact in particular that actually the supplier, I mean the contractor, is also uh, owned by the developer as a subsidiary. That, that, was, that was a scary point, wasn't it? This is their own guy. Um, you would have thought that they could be relied on to check the quality, as it, because it, I imagine the cement was brought in by an outside contractor. Well, uh, as far as I know, actually the cement supplier is also affiliated with the developer itself. Another wow, whoa! So, so they, I mean, this is a big group, as we all know. Uh, big dim guys, <laughs> in that case. And so, now, well, I mean, if they have uh, enough, uh, you know, checks and balances, I mean, that should be okay. 
Well, uh, and uh, I mean, what's worrying is that uh, you know this is this is ha- this ha- happening more in more than one tower. Um, so uh, it doesn't seem to be just a, uh, just a human error or human mistake. I mean, would there be any uh, systematic problems behind, or even fraudulent behaviour behind? You know, we uh, I think everyone wants to know more. There was reports in the media that the company had fired the supervision team. Right. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. That could be <laughs> a kind of a, a risk management uh, exercise. Um, but um, you know, is this is a, just a question of one team or what? I mean, now um, I hope that uh, you know, the, uh, the developer will cooperate with the buildings department and 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 that, I think I think the buildings department must have its own independent investigation. You know, to to. Uh, uh, give confidence uh, to the public. Uh, perhaps you can comment on, on this, uh, and I, I have no idea whether this is true or not, but uh, Martin B. says, according to some sources, the cement revelation at Pavilion Farm is fake news. There is talk that the real issue is subsidence on the site, but the cement excuse has been floated as a cover-up while remedial work will be attempted. Those in the trade say that it does not take months to get cube test results. They are ongoing with every concrete batch, and workers monitoring this do not wait until the building is up to review strength results. Backchat should interview the director of buildings to join the discussion to clear up any misunderstandings. This development is part of a large transport interchange. Thousands of families have invested their life savings in the units. Nothing less than full disclosure is acceptable. That comes from Martin B. Any comment, Albert Lai? No, I have no insider inside information as to whether this is due to something. Now, the, the, the fact is that... Uh, during the uh, early stage of construction, uh, subsidence uh, incidents did happen on this site. Now, supposedly there has been have been remedies. Now, uh, but whether now but I would be surprised that the, you know the demolition of these two towers are directly related to subsidence. Now, because I think the design of this development is that they have a big transfer slab, what we call it, just like a platform, a big platform, and those towers are built on the platform. So if there's any any series of subsidence subsidence that would be that would actually affect uh, other that would, towers as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so uh, now, but I sort of agree, you know, that uh, we need more transparency, um, and that uh, and that transparency should not only come from the developers uh, because we need independent investigation and in this instance has to be has to come from the buildings departments okay and one more comment this is from mt who says uh, how is the concrete disposed of and who pays for it anyone do you know um i suppose you mean the demolition well for the demolition well the the, uh, the developer said has openly said that they would take full responsibility okay and but what would um, they do with the concrete because they're going to have a it gets huge dumped amount like of construction waste just Hong Kong. Uh, well they would, they would go to government landfill <laughs> would, yeah. well i mean Sure, I, I suppose if, if, the, if, the, if you're referring to the fact that, you know, because more concrete are disposed of, you know, there'll be more, uh, we have to pay for the disposal. I mean, the, uh, as a public, yeah, it's true that we really have to pay for the disposal, yes. Mm.
All right. Uh, well, many thanks for uh, joining us, uh, Albert Lai there, fellow of the Institution of uh, Civil Engineers. Uh, one more comment from Alonzo, back on the vaccine, who says you don't need to be a rocket science to work out what government needs to do is to ramp up Hong Kong's vaccination rates, which, as Mike Rouse correctly points out, appear to be worryingly peaked. $5,000 cash, reduced quarantine on return to Hong Kong. That's uh, Alonzo's uh, suggestion. Thank you very much indeed for that. Mike, thank you very much indeed. I'm going to monitor these figures on a daily basis now um, because they are worrying. Uh, peaked, as you say. They peaked, yeah. Mm. Okay, uh, the weather mainly fine apart from some isolated showers. Very hot, temperatures up to about 34 degrees today. And it's going to stay very hot with sunny periods in the next couple of days and then a few showers towards the end of the week. There's a very hot weather warning now with 30 Celsius and the relative humidity at 79%. Amid the pandemic, we still need to carry on our work and daily lives. All of us wish to stay healthy and avoid being infected. Vaccination is one of the most effective ways to protect yourself and your family. It also helps us resume normal life earlier. Protection starts 14 days after the second dose. Remember to maintain personal hygiene and wear a mask. Protect yourself and others. Let's get vaccinated. 9.33, the news now with Samantha Butler. Sources have told, told RTHK that National Security Police have arrested at least five people in connection with the case of pro-independence group Returning Valiant. Last week, nine people from the group were arrested over an alleged plot to blow up Hong Kong courts, the Cross Harbour Tunnels and the railways. A former ICAC chief investigator, Stephen Cha, says the government needs to look at whether three senior officials who had a free hot pot meal at a luxurious private club violated any codes of conduct. The three, Commissioner of Customs, Hermes Tang, Immigration Director, Ao Ka Wang, and Undersecretary for Security, Sunny Ao, were fined $5,000 each for breaching the four-person gathering ban. And Taiwan's Foxconn and Taiwan Semiconductor say they've reached deals to buy 10 million doses of Germany's BioNTech vaccine, which they'll donate to the health authorities. Taiwan tried for months to buy the vaccine and blamed Beijing for nixing an agreement the two sides were to sign this year. Beijing denies the accusations. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Buongiorno and welcome to a new week on Morning Brew. Well, just as a diversion, we're going to be talking about rugby today to kick off the week. 